A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. BI's place in data mesh, a panel. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Amara Gafur, who's the principal business analyst at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode 133, facilitated a discussion with Elif Tutuk, who's the global head of product at AtScale, and also Ryan Dolly, who's an independent data consultant and one of the super data bros. He's the guest of episode 183. The focus topic area was what role does business intelligence, you know, BI have in data mesh, such as where does it sit and who owns it? And how do we enable BI to really drive significant value in a data mesh implementation? As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. A few other episodes that would be good to get a broader picture here on related topics in addition to Amara and Ryan's episode specifically are episode 199 with Brent Dykes and episode 192 with Joao Sosa. Personal note here, I wanted to share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of multiple panelists' points of views. This is kind of the standard for panels going forward. So here are my top eight takeaways, and there are more in the show notes if you'd like to kind of dig into them. There's 23 more. Number one, it's really important to actually define what business intelligence even means to your organization. If everyone doesn't have a clear, clearly defined picture, it's one of the easiest things to have a major mismatch on expectations. Everyone thinks they know what we mean by BI but we often mean different, sometimes vastly different things. Number two, in data mesh, it's okay to have multiple org groups or layers of BI across the overall organization. Say BI teams embedded in the domains and a central BI team too. As long as as responsibilities are relatively clear and teams communicate, 
if everyone is working on a on similar or overlapping goals, it's going to create BI sprawl, you know, such as dashboard and report sprawl and with weak ownership and just everything everywhere and nobody can really figure out what's the thing I should be looking at instead of uh, kind of being able to focus and think this is the this is where I go to answer my questions. Number three, BI must focus on enabling business users, not just data analysts. How do we make it so regular business users can actually drive their own analysis and then own the output? How can they then share their insights back to others? Number four, it's important to focus on enabling BI capabilities over tooling. In BI, that feels especially hard because the interface to the data for most people is literally the BI tools themselves. So of course, tools feel like they are most important. How we make that distinction, especially to users, is hard and seems kind of to be determined. I think we have to get better on that. Number five, really consider if BI is only a consumer or more likely, Is it also a crucial producer to the mesh? Are data analysts, uh, data analysis outputs going to be made available in something like an analytics catalog? Whether you call that part of the mesh or not, how are people reliably sharing the insights they create and how are others discovering those insights? Number six, Amara brought up the complexities of how do we go from providing raw data in these fundamental data products to actually doing BI. The tools in general are not designed to ingest from a whole bunch of sources. And the BI professionals are typically not all that technical. A lot of data analysts aren't all that technical. Do we create domain data marts or mesh aggregated data products? I, I like the recipe angle that Mahmoud Yassin had mentioned in episode 103. Data virtualization technologies also probably play a key role here. Number seven, Elif made a good point about there's a difference between making the, the data analytics ready and business ready, right? Analytics ready and business ready. How do we bridge that gap? How do we even define that gap so we can recognize it before addressing it? Just providing data doesn't make it analytics ready. And and just providing analytics ready data doesn't make it business ready. Finally, number eight, design thinking and product are truly crucial to doing BI right, whether data mesh or not. For too long, all aspects of data, but especially BI, have been focused on outputs, kind of like the number of widgets produced as the metric. It can feel like accomplishing something even if it's not creating value. We need to focus much more on how people will use what we build to drive specific value. How do we create that kind of quote-unquote delightful experiences, as Jamak always says, for consumers of business intelligence? Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves.
everyone. Um, thank you for another episode of um, Data Mesh Learnings. Um, thank you, Scott, for bringing us all here together. Uh, my name is Amara Gafur. I'm a principal business analyst at ThoughtWorks, and I've been working with Data Mesh for the last um, 15 months. And I'm really excited to be here with my co-panelists, Ryan and Ilif. I'm so happy to have both of you join us here. The topic of the day is um, we're really hoping to talk about the place of business intelligence and in the data mesh world. Um, so maybe we can like start with a round of introductions. Um, Ilif, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, hello everyone. It's great to be here and have the chance to talk about data mesh and uh, business intelligence. So uh, yeah, I'm Elif Tutuk. I'm the head of products at, at Scale, uh, which is a, a semantic layer platform providing central governance, um, enabling you know multiple BI consumers to consume a governed set of metrics and dimensions. Uh, before joining at Scale, uh, I was with Click uh, as the VP of innovation and design. I actually spent uh, probably more than a decade at Click, uh, really kind of growing the company and the community and the product as well. Uh, yeah, my background is data and analytics. Uh, I'm patient about really helping organizations, users become data literate and also increase the analytics adoption at organizations. Yeah, and I'm uh, Ryan Dolly. I'm a, I run a boutique consulting firm with my brother called the Super Data Brothers, uh, and we focus on uh, we really focus on analytics and business intelligence, and helping people work backwards from from what the business users actually need into what the BI needs to be, and then from there into the data engineering. and And that's really my background. So I've been in BI for thirteen years now. I've done Lots of stuff over that time at large companies, small companies, startups, um, lots of different implementations. I've seen things come and go in, in the BI industry and, you know, kind of the uh, waves of different different ways of doing BI and thinking about it uh, rise and fall. And so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to join this conversation because I, I think Data Mesh is actually going to have a huge impact on business intelligence going forward. And I don't think BI people realize it yet. And so uh, this is a, a timely uh, a timely moment for us all to be getting together. Yeah, Ryan, by, by the way, I just have to say, I love the super data brothers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, we- uh, I was going to say the absolute same. I mean, awesome to have all this experience on the panel, but super data brothers, like that's going to be the highlight of this entire conversation for me, right? You know, it's funny. We, we get asked all the time too, like, are you guys really brothers? It's like, yeah, no. we are actual brothers <laughs> who both do BI for a living. So- <laughs> All right, so um, keeping that aside, um, topic of the day, of course, business intelligence and data mesh. Um, and um, so as part of the journey, um, as part of implementing data mesh, as part of rolling out data and mesh uh, within organizations, um, I've had the experience that often it's not very clear what exactly BI really is. And often a business intelligence unit in one organizational unit or in one company is very, very different from what another company might call a BI unit. Um, so let's start really simple. What is BI and what does a BI team generally look like? So I can uh, you know, provide my first input. Uh, just overall, BI is really enabling using the data to make data-driven decisions 
um, where you use a technology and most of the cases has you know visualization uh, to visualize that data. Um, but I think over the years we have seen different versions of BI. Um, you know, um, it all started as like a all up structures and cube structures. It's more around the multidimensional to drill down, analyze it, but very dependent to IT to create that, you know, not much flexible data structure where you can only ask the questions in one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, the second wave came in, which is more, more about self-service BI or self-service analytics. And this is where we start seeing the shift where, you know, how we can enable the actual analytics consumers, the business users to create um, the queries like with more um, graphical user interface, drag and drop. Um, and I think this is where, like when you talk about data mesh, it's all about enabling the business users. So in the second wave, we start seeing that. And then the third wave came in, and which is more augmented analytics. And I think it is like in the last four or five years where we start seeing the overlap between AI and ML uh, with um, analytics. And analytics is not in more the descriptive analytics, but it is also more predictive and prescriptive. So, um, and with the third wave of augmented analytics, we also start seeing even more different user experiences where it is more conversational. The users can just ask in, uh, their business questions in natural language. Um, and then on the backend side, you know, the tools is not only enabling historical data analysis, but also has um, ML and forecasting capabilities to uh, provide more prediction about the future and the possibilities and also helping being more prescriptive what actions the users can take. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like my view. What do you think, Ryan? No, I, I mean, I, I think you and I have had a front row seat to the same developments over the last decade and a half. Uh, it's really, uh, I think the interesting, one of the interesting points you bring up is just how the experience has evolved over time, right? And uh, it, there was a time when you could say business intelligence was something the IT team did for you, and they gave you a report, and it, you know, back in the day, like in the kind of Cognos business objects era, it was, the report literally looked like a sheet of paper, had a header and a footer and a table of numbers on it, and, um, you know, we've moved a long way past that. And so the BI experience has really evolved. And I, I, from my perspective, it's just kind of at the end of the day, what BI is about is translating the things that happened in the business, right? The actual events, the transactions, the widgets you sell, the things you build, right? The services you deliver, whatever that is, into the format that's going to enable people to make informed decisions on it. And, and, Whatever that looks like going forward, whether it's uh, someone looking at a report or someone talking to chat GPT, like that, that in my mind is, is the core of business intelligence. Um, and, you know, as you said, it's changed so much over the years. And yet that fundamental struggle to, to deliver that, to, to, to take the things that happened out in the real world and, you know, represent it digitally in a way that allows someone to make an intelligent decision on it. That, that fundamental struggle remains. I really like the fact um, that you mentioned it if about the first wave, the second wave, the third wave and the fourth wave. And while we might think those are four distinctive waves, very often um, I tend to see these uh, coexisting waves very often in the same organization. Sometimes 
also within the same business department sometimes in the same verticals you have all four versions of it and uh, yeah really um, because of uh, in some aspects the whole concept of a centralized team basically serving multiple business users and in some aspects we find because of the sheer decentralization of all the many different data initiatives that are being run that are basically not communicating with each other and so it's it's this weird complex of yes it's originally an IT team that was serving business users originally in the form of say uh, a power bi and maybe uh, a couple of years ago as Tableau, and now it's no longer as Tableau. It's more like, oh, can we get, jump on the bandwagon and get ChatGPT to answer our questions? Exactly as you say, Ryan. Um, and so when when now there's also what people can call as the hype of data mesh, then questions come or questions that are commonly asked to us are, what do we do with the tools that we already have, the BI tools, and how does this fit into the world of data mesh? And so we are talking your basic BI tools, you know, your Tableaus, your Power BIs, your SAP business objects. How does this fit into a data mesh world? Yeah. So I think you have a great observation, Amara, in terms of like it all uh, intermingled to each other. Um, So one thing that I would like to mention is like this centralized approach has been moved to hub and spoke is how I would say. And I think this is very... Uh, matching with the data mesh, because at the end, all of the technology and all the innovations that we have been doing is um, is really to enable that business user who may have no idea about data, but they they live and breathe the business problem. They know what business questions they have. So how we can enable them to trust the data so that we can make the data more consumable um, and then have them, you know, whatever BI tool or analytics tool that they choose to use to consume and to be able to answer those questions. Uh, So I kind of like from that centralized approach, I start seeing more and more at the customers like an hub and uh, spoke approach where there's still a central um, governance place, but then it starts to become more how we can enable the business domains who are responsible, like who are really knowing the business domain and how we can enable them with creation of the data products. And this is where I really get excited about the idea of data mesh because you know, the, the core idea about data mesh is to really giving the ownership um, of the data and creation of the data products to the group that is closest and who best understand the business, but also who has a good understanding of the data. Yeah, and and I think you know it's funny that you you asked this question tomorrow because just yesterday on my brother and I have a YouTube channel um, and we just did a show yesterday called "Is Tableau Dead?" Um, and uh, we we had some people feel very passionately on either side of of the answer to that question, but you know I think when it comes to the tooling, there's we are at at an interesting inflection point where I feel like this kind of Tableau, Power BI driven way of doing BI, we've kind of come to the end of that, right? Like this kind of one way data pipeline where your goal for BI is just to churn out as many dashboards as quickly as possible. And they look great, but the problem is that we've we've created this world where, you know, I've worked with clients where they have 2,500 tables and each one corresponds to a single Tableau dashboard, right? Um, and that's, Part of what excites me 
for BI in data mesh is like, we can get away from that um, because that feels, it's like a sugar high almost. It feels really good when you churn out a view really quick that's tied to a dashboard and the dashboard's in Tableau and it looks amazing. Um, but you just repeat that process over and over again for five years and you've created this ungovernable mess of snowflake tables. You don't know what's in them and Tableau dashboards where most of them, nobody even looks at the dashboard. And um, and I think the BI tooling is going to have to evolve. So like, you know, is Tableau going to go away? And this is a point I made on the podcast yesterday. Is Tableau going to go away? No, right? Like Cognos, which many people would tell you has been dead for 10 years, still has thousands and thousands of users, right? Um, companies, right? Tens of thousands of people building reports in Cognos today. Um, but, you know, things are going to have to change. And I think one of the changes that BI people should be looking for is that I think the next generation of BI tools are going to be meshier in a way, right? They're going to enable things like, um, you know, uh, a BI front end that can consume a metric store. But then what I hope to see is the BI front end can also, you know, if someone discovers a new metric in the BI front end that they can push that metric down to the metric store from the BI front end, for example. Um, and that's going to enable this kind of two-way bi-directional BI to data, to, to, to data product conversation that I think we need to see as data mesh continues to evolve. Yeah. I just want to ask something, and Amar, I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Like, it all comes to the needs of the user. Um, and maybe it's not a rich tool like Power BI, Tableau, Click, or um, Excel. It is more of what type of analysis you want to do. Like, is it more um, like, you know, every day you have the same type of question and you just, you know, it is more like a dashboarding. You want to kind of get a 360 degree view of the business by just asking the same question every Monday. Or the other need is, you know, I want to do more exploratory analysis or I'm a finance user. I love the tabular view of the data. Like I leave them breathe this, you know, with my experience at Click because I was in one BI tool, you know, trying to innovate self-service analytics for dashboard users for exploratory purposes. But then I used to say, every time I see a user dumping data from a dashboard to Excel, an angel dies. And I think I killed out of angels in my life because it all comes to the needs of the user. Uh, so we have to think about providing solutions technologies, as you said, Ryan, like that will let the user to choose their tool of choice as that last mile of the consumption. But then data should be, you know, very touchable, meaning that you can trust, you can understand the lineage, you know what questions that data can answer. Um, I, like, what do you think, Amara? So um, I definitely agree. And um, I want to be careful here because the most common feedback that um, we often hear when we are pitching data mesh or we are pitching um, uh, working in a data mesh approach, but in a data product approach to business, uh, different business users and business, different BI units is that we have a lot of dashboards, exactly as you say it. Uh, we have limited resources. The BI teams are generally very, very small. Even in big business departments, they're not that huge, you know? So think about the front end building reports, visualization tables, uh, teams, five to 10 people, extremely uh, uh, stretched. 
often the team is not very tech savvy okay so these are not software developers these are not people who are going to be able to build etl pipelines um and they are not going to be learning these skills so does data mesh provide a practical solution to this or is data mesh adding a layer of complexity added to that just one more point to consider is that the existing bi tools um are most of them are not designed for example to ingest from a large number of input data sources right so you have a practical limit to it you do have you can have more of them but not a lot of them right you're not going to say consume for 20 or 30 different data products but a data product is the fundamental quantum of your data right so we are not trying to make it bigger we're trying to make it smaller so with the added complexity of sql being the core primary language of the bi business user what are we as data mesh enablers doing to make this life simpler and not adding more complexity does the solution mean aggregated data products which is one controversial topic or does it mean adding a layer of virtualization in between does it mean the outputs of the data products itself are in form of views or or go back back into a warehouse on which a view can be built which is basically feeding back into this loop and another angel dying but you know the question is we shouldn't be making it more complex what are we doing to make it easier so i think just overall <clears throat> i've been always thinking that like we have been focusing in terms of you know how we can make the raw data analytics ready and this is all the star schemas and everything um and then but then analytics ready data is not enough for the business users to answer their question and the way that i refer there is this one extra mile that you have to take it's making the data business ready and making the data business ready so far has been happening happening within the bi tool um like in tableau or click or excel like you know there's always additional definition of a metric you know because you know for the next 10 days this warehouse needs to be closed so you put a condition on the existing metric to create a version of that um i think now everyone is coming to that realization without introducing new technologies it is more taking a step back and then looking at this modern data stack and what part of the stacks should happen and that's why i think we are seeing more like metric store idea coming up more and part of that i think it's a different terminology like semantic layer is the same thing where this is where the business users uh the business units can make the data analytics ready data business ready in a flexible and agile and friendly manner and then consume that set of metrics uh with their uh bi tool or ai tool choice that they have So again just coming back to your um question Amara it's not a, like making uh the stack more complex for them it is more kind of okay what are the needs and really what what should be the layers in that stack without you know asking to have additional technical skill sets Okay so is are the BI teams a part of the mesh or are they not <laughs> Great question. Why do you want to take the first step? <laughs> well, I think I mean I think this is still being sorted out in a way, right? Um I I, I you know, we don't one of the exciting things about data mesh it, for me is that there's there's no canon, canonical answer. Uh we're still learning. We're all learning. And so you know as a bi person with that background one of the things that from my like that my career trajectory has taught me is is like 
it's really hard to know what to build as far as uh, traditionally you would say a data warehouse or a set of tables or you know nowadays a data product without having some understanding of like what are you gonna what are you gonna create on the front end that the human beings are actually gonna interact with right how do you know what to put in your data product maybe if you're building something strictly for like mathematical optimization or AI ML purposes you you don't need to think about that as much. But uh, anything that that you're you're intending a data product that you're intending to like directly communicate to business people, I don't know how you build that thing without having some idea of what the BI is going to be, right? It, it, it's just so from my perspective, it you know the organizational question of like where does the BI team sit and do you still have a centralized BI team where you distribute the the BI team people into the data domains? You know, I I. I don't know 100% yet, but I think the question of like, do you need to be thinking about this when it comes to data product design is like 100%. Um, and and this is a, not a new idea. This is an old idea. I've seen lots of data warehouses that were designed without ever asking what BI needed. And those data warehouses didn't work, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think we're, we're, we're in a similar place today. But I'm curious, um, Elif, what you think ab about that, like just where do the people sit? And like, I, I can see it working both ways. I, I agree. Recently, I start seeing more and more customers doing, again, that hub and spoke approach uh, because there is no doubt that there's a need for a central governance where, um, you know, a unit can manage the definition, common definition across business units, but then uh, really helping the business units where they can actually do that transformation of making the data analytics ready, like business ready, and then answer their questions and in a flexible way. Um, so I'm seeing more, again, hub and spoke is how I've been referring it to. Um, and part of that is also like the business units, you know, we have to think about how the data that has been, or the data products that are being produced become shareable and reusable. And this is kind of the idea about composable analytics or composable data. Uh, because like if sales has been already created a promotional, you know, data structure with the right, you know, star schema and model, semantic model, um, then that should be very easily searchable um, because marketing may have the similar type of questions. They, If they have access to that model, then they can start using and maybe slightly changing it um, and then open that for analytics consumption. So I, again, just coming back to your question, Amara, like it is, I think, more hub and spoke, but we, we really need to enable um, both sides, you know, who are sitting on the hub or the spoke to really provide that central governance, but then on the uh, on the edges to provide reusability, searchability, um, consumption, easy consumption uh, by having the governance in place. So surprisingly, we are also seeing both uh, versions of it uh, at a large pharmaceutical company that uh, we are rolling out uh, data mesh at. And um, so more commonly, we observe the BI team sitting just on the edge of the data mesh implementation as consumers and the output put ports of the data products uh, are serving the needs of the BI users. So BI users almost become the customers for the data products, right? So it's a consumer-oriented data product and you're providing uh, the output in a format that is BI-friendly, basically, you know? So think of, they're almost the proxy for the business, therefore, you know? So the BI teams become the proxy. 
We are also seeing some centralized BI teams. So this doesn't mean that they don't exist. And I had a very interesting conversation with some of my colleagues where I actually asked them about this. Is um, uh, is the emergence or the presence of centralized BI teams, is that an anti-pattern? And uh, my colleague, Emily Gwasensky, uh really advanced um, data mesh practitioner, uh, she she mentioned this really interestingly, and she said, let's deconstruct this for a bit. Uh, it may not be an anti-pattern at all. There needs to be potentially a team that is chasing those cross-domain um, data use cases as well, right? Exactly as you mentioned it, marketing might have a data product or finance has something and sales has something. So who's having this overarching view uh, in actually executing those business uh, intelligence units, uh, sorry, outcomes? And sometimes these are often tied uh, at an overarching level to, for example, the CEO office, the CIO's office, right? Because they are the ones who need overview and information from multiple different domains. So this is definitely what's the question and whose need is it for? Uh, similarly to what you mentioned in terms of governance, right? So a portion of the governance, a centralized BI team might be able to contribute to the aspects of what governance needs to be followed as well by the BI teams, you know, that are present in different teams, having an overarching view of what are the data products being built by different departments? Is there uh, aspects that can actually be reused and not rebuilt, right? And so, uh, that's a parallelization. So does that really answer the question of is a BI team part of the mesh or not? A typical answer depends. Um, but the <laughs> definitely uses advantages and disadvantages, I guess, to both. And we're seeing great success in both, you know. In fact, the hub and spoke model that you mentioned, I just want to take an example here, uh, um, at Roche, which is a pharmaceutical company in Switzerland, uh, that was the first data mesh use case that we went live with. And uh, the we had um, some excellent, excellent uh, pioneers. Uh, they really did this. They, they followed this hub and spoke model. They made BI part of the first use case. They got it out in six months. And the second use case in less than three months, which was never, ever imagined before purely by going via the data mesh approach, by the BI approach, and by using the hub and spoke model approach. And that was the first success case that was pro that proved that data mesh is feasible, is economically viable, and has huge potential as well, right? And so, and that is what really led to the rollout of everything else that happened in this humongous pharmaceutical company as well. So maybe we should be focusing on why and where do we want to go rather than the semantics of who sits exactly where? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends. And also, I want to touch base, Ryan, at the beginning of the you know conversation, you have mentioned the need uh, to have exploratory, but then once you find a new metric to be able to push it back for the overall governed consumption. So uh, one trend that I'm seeing as I talk to customers about central governance and the, you know, part of like, I would say 15% of the users are power users who still would like to explore. And the the, the, the concept that I'm coming is this adaptive governance. Um, so it is more the concept of, yeah, I mean, there's a 80% central governance, but then you enable that type of business user who knows the business, who has hypotheses about the business, but who also knows the data, and you enable them, enable them a playground where they can more freely explore and one once they find something, then that that can become governed. Like, what are your thoughts? What you have seen so far? 
Yeah, you have. I mean, a hundred percent. Like you, you have to do that. I think that you know, you, when you were talking about kind of the waves of BI, one of the distinguishing features of those first two waves that you mentioned was that the first one was entirely locked down and governed, and the second one uh, was people playing around with desktop tools and doing whatever they wanted, right? And and one of the things, you know, you've talked about kind of semantic and metric layers, and and one of the things I find really appealing about them whether you're doing data mesh or not, is that it brings back a degree of this trusted, governed um, kind of metric store that we had in in the first wave. But you got to do it in a way where where people who... you The big thing you can't have is that your governance program is, is restricting people from using the BI front end to have some kind of aha moment, right? That is one of the main... The BI front end, from my perspective... I mean, maybe it has more than two purposes, but the two main ones are, one is for to communicate operational oversight. That's the dashboard you look at every morning or every Monday, right? The other one is, you know, you get someone who understands the business and understands the data and you give them the tooling to sit down and say, you know, I've got this hunch and can I prove, you know, what what can I discover in the data? Um, and you, you, you really can't, lock that person out, right? If you do that, you're locking out a huge piece of the value. But one of the challenges with the BI tooling we have today is that so much of that aha logic gets locked in the BI layer. And so then, you know, you, you example, I, I use a lot. You discover some analyst uses the BI tool to, to do some new market segmentation or something like that. And then you say, okay, we want to take this new market segmentation and we want to plug it into an ML model to do real-time offers on our, our um, e-commerce site. You know, people log in, we, you know, we're going to use the segmentation to drive the real-time offers. Well, how are you going to get that out of the BI tool when it's locked up in this proprietary modeling language um, and all that sort of thing? And so, you know, the ability to, from, from, from a cultural perspective, you need to cultivate a BI practice that encourages people to play um, and discover new things. And I think our tooling has to evolve to make it easier for when you discover something new to push it upstream, to get it into an ML model or to get it into a data app or something like that, right? Because that there's this big disconnect right now where stuff happens in BI uh, and, and I'm, I'm afraid a lot of times it gets locked in BI. So where does the journey really start then? So when do we start involving the BI teams? Where in the data mesh journey should we liaising with it? I, I think you made an interesting argument when you were telling the story of the pharmaceutical company where, um, you know, I, I'm very pro-BI, but what part of what I heard in that story was like the involvement of the BI from the very beginning made it very easy to prove the value of the data mesh. You know, because they had a very concrete output where you could say, you know, we were able to build this BI output. It had an impact on business. It answered some questions the executives had that we couldn't answer before, whatever it was. Um, involving that up front, you know, it, it makes it the, the pretty dashboard that you could never generate in the past is a very powerful proof point. So I'm just... So I'm thinking here again. So um, you mentioned that the ability to take a look at this data, making sure it's accessible to other people so they can take a look at it and say, hmm, I have a hunch here. And, and this may be potentially true in cutting-edge technology or decision-making or trends, 
I'm yet to see it. I'm yet to see a customer 360 tool or a product 360 tool, which is often this starting point of if we have the data and if we can see the trends, then we will be able to see an, an abnormality or we will be able to see the outliers, which almost always is the starting point for let us get all the data and let us make it all available because then we will see outliers. And I push back so hard against this. Quite often, um, I'm really logging heads with people on this because I say, no, you will most likely not see outliers. Let's start with the concrete decision you have to make, you know, um, and, and ML. And, and, and you're absolutely right. The fact that we presume that ML use cases will automatically emerge because just we have the data available in BI, it's not happening. It's really not happening. It's not ML ready, right? And so if you want to start with the ML use case, let's start with the ML use case and let's get the data out in that aspect. Let's put the data products with respect to that ML use case. If you have to make a decision and that decision is just a yes or no, if it's a flag, if it's a dashboard, I don't care. It's a decision that I have to come to, a business decision, then that's my starting point. So in our journey, we almost always push for Let's make that the starting point. Um, and it's also where we get the highest pushback from, right? No, no, we are still IT. We have to prove our value to business. And there's still this huge divide. And very often we don't jump over it either, you know? So I, I'm really interested to know in your journeys, is it the really starting point? Is like the BI use case a starting point? Or when does it really get involved? I just, my observation again over the years is, BI teams, where I see, you know, <clears throat> how you make that data business ready is, is, you know, it's just that middle layer between like IT kind of prepares our uh, clean and transform data and land it. And then from there, the BI tool, uh, BI uh, teams can pick up where they can actually define uh, the business definition um, and the business moment, reflect the business moment to the data. Um, but I, I don't think that it is only the BI developer um, or the BI team. I think maybe the definition of BI team coming back, I always see it's mixture. Like there has to be power business users in that team who understand the business to be able to reflect that business reality into the data uh, to make it business ready and reflect the business moment for consumption. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention, Amara, like, you have mentioned like how we can make those data products uh, like smaller. I think it was a comment that you made at the beginning of the call. Like I think your point was start with the business question and then or a set of business questions for a business unit and then create a data product uh, for that purpose. And once you create or multiple ones, yeah, multiple ones, yeah. And then and and maybe if if you can provide an environment where through the metadata, the other users can easily search and find, okay, these are the business questions, the similar metrics that I'm going after, or there's already a data product that I can consume. And 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 then, you know, of course, you, you don't want to create silos because ultimately there's a, you know, higher level, C-level uh, suite that they would like to get a 360-degree view on the business. And this is where I see the concept of confirmed dimensions, the master data, right? Like the common things about product, warehouse, like time, user, cons customer. And those are the confirmed dimensions that you can actually use to connect different data products um, to get that, create that connected tissue um, overall 360 degree view of the business. 
So coming back to your question, I think it's more close to the edge, the way that I see it. Um, but also it also comes to, you know, how do you create those data products and uh, make them searchable, but then also make sure that you don't create silos and they are connected and composable. Ryan, you don't look convinced. <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not unconvinced. I, uh, I just, I come back to, um, you know, the thing that's hard, I think, for BI people when it comes to the data mesh conversation is that they've spent so much of their time trying to like physically co-locate data along with data warehouse teams and data engineering teams um, that this idea of like, you know, we're going to make this data product and... Um, you know, it's not going to contain everything that you think you need. It's going to contain what it needs. And in the future, we'll make some additional data products that will have other components of things. And, and eventually, you know, we'll have this mesh. And the mesh is going to have all, you know, it's going to organically emerge over our effort over the next few years. And then you'll be able to find anything, um, which, of course, is the dream, right? Mm -hmm. um, but this idea, you know, there, there's so th what we've been doing for so long is like, Let's just get all the data in the snowflake. Let's just get everything in this. And once everything's in the snowflake, we'll be able to answer any question. Um, and so I think that you know, like there's this degree of of skepticism with the BI people. Um, I, I am curious, like you know, and I think it can work both ways. Um, but in I, I would, you need to find the most valuable, whatever the perceived most valuable first use case is for your data products, right? I mean, that like they have to deliver something. And um, if that's if that's going to be an impact on, on strictly kind of ML, AI type processes, that's fine. Um, in my experience, it, I, I work with a lot of clients who, I'm, so I'm, I live in the Detroit area and around here, we got a lot of people who build stuff, right? Um, and so for them, BI is, is very at the forefront of a lot of what they do, um, because they're, you know, they're uh, looking, they've got a lot of like real world processes and they're not doing these really high level AI optimizations for customers who are flowing into a website in real time. I mean, maybe they should be, but they're not right. Um, and so the BI use case is really impactful for them, but I, I would, you know, when it comes to starting out your data mesh, I mean, you need to identify what are going to be the best core products that are going to have this big impact. Start with that. Um, I would involve the BI team if you think it's at all going to be useful at the very, very least to try to get them on board with what you're doing. Because what you don't want is to have a data mesh that the BI team that prepares assets for your executives doesn't like and doesn't want any part of. Exactly. It's like alienating the team that's potentially serving the same outcomes as well, right? So it's yeah. all becoming loggerheads. Um, okay, so what if I was part of a BI team and if my company is starting off on its data mesh journey, what can I do in terms of skill sets or in terms of training or in terms of getting myself data mesh fluent in your opinions? Uh, <clears throat> I would say, you know, we have started seeing new personas like analytics engineers, for example, that you use more code-based uh, transformations that can, you know, make the data business ready and then create a table um, that can be consumed. So, I mean, that's one trend, but I think at the, at the high level, it all goes back to the, the core that we have been doing for years. Like it is 
understanding the business question and the need, and then really having the thinking that how to serve data or analytics as a product. And that all comes to how you delight the user, right? And then understanding their needs. And, you know, they, their needs is they need to trust, they need to understand, they need to, uh, you know, be able to discover. Uh, at the end, they have a business question and they don't have time. So I would say that, you know, that design thinking is the core. Um, yeah, so that's my input. Yeah, no, I I mean, I, I just like could not agree more. Really, uh, that one of the things that first attracted me to data mesh is like I got into product thinking independent of learning about data mesh. And I used to go to conferences many years ago and I would give these presentations to BI teams and I would say, look, there's this product thinking thing and like, here's how you do it. And here's some books you can read. And you need to think about like, ask yourself, you know, this was many years ago. I'd be like, ask your, don't, don't think, ask yourself what dashboard would Apple build and how would they go about defining the customer experience, right? Um, that's the biggest thing, I think, as a BI team is like, this is the opportunity for you to, some, sometimes BI teams get stuck in these ruts where they're just churning out reports and they don't know if anybody even really uses them, you know? Uh, they're not, and, and this is the opportunity to like rethink the way you do things, to embrace this product thinking, to build things that people actually care about and use. And if they don't, like to actually recognize that and know that and adjust. Um, that's that's the biggest thing. It's just embracing the product thinking. There's the technical side of things. I do think BI is going to be moving slowly more towards the software engineering way of doing things. So like modern BI tools do version control with Git. Uh, and so like you do need to learn a little bit of this stuff that maybe you don't know today. But um, overall, I would embrace the change in philosophy more than anything, um, because I think it really can make your job more satisfying and more fun. Yeah. I liked how heavily both Ryan I and I were nodding along as uh, Elifi were talking. So just to repeat those two points, I think um, design thinking, what you mentioned, and Ryan, product thinking, as you mentioned, um, to me, those are the core takeaways. Um, uh, if we are trying to uh, relook at the question of how does data mesh not add to the complexity? How do we not add more strain to the teams? How do we, uh, teams that are very, very stretched, um, how do we not add to more of their cognitive load? Then maybe really data mesh is pushing you to think, do you need hundreds of views? Um, do you need all those tables? And who's consuming your outputs? Um, one tangible example, we are currently working with the BI team that was producing uh, reports that needed to be updated 24-7. And it turned out a little bit of digging, a little bit of looking into it, who are the end users, design thinking, personas. Um, and it turns out a decision based on those reports was made twice a year. Okay. So, and this is, this is more common than you would think. So really adding simple aspects like, how often does this data actually need to be updated? Who's going to be looking at it? What's the trade-off of, of actually investing in all this technology, right? So as your BI unit, this is now your new job itself. And you can go in two directions. You can become the BI 
team members that are more technologically in, uh, aligned, the way you mentioned, Ryan, or the BI team members that are more focusing on the business analysis aspect of it. Uh, the ability to take a business problem and break it down into what could potentially look like the boundaries of a data product, right? Like what are the fundamental data units? And these are basically information and these are aspects of your business domain language that you already have, right? And and your core skills are exactly necessary to be that starting point. And working with the data product teams, I would say, right? Yeah, just one thing that you have mentioned, like usage. Like, I think this is something that I've been thinking a lot lately. Uh, we have been always talking about me- metadata, but active metadata, like the and, uh, metadata about the usage, so looking who has been using, how frequently they are being using. Yeah. Um, again, as a, you know, I'm sitting on the as a head of product on a technology company, right? So like if you're talking about governance and usage, like that needs to be in the in the in the in the in the mixture so that you know really the whoever creating that data product can have a good understanding of what has been used so far. Ryan, you kind of get excited. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so critical. It's so critical, I, and it's just—it's funny that you mentioned that because I was—I was—I re- honestly was just thinking that um, as something that, you know, so many BI teams—they have no idea who uses their assets and how often and what for. They just have no idea. In fact, long ago, um, I made a—I helped make a little software product for a, a big BI tool that everybody used back in the day that did exactly this. It harvested, it was, it, it harvested the audit logs from the BI tool to show you like who was actually using what report and what dashboard and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I will, so this is a topic I believe in like to my core as a BI team, you have to know what's valuable and what's not about what you're producing. How, otherwise, how are you going to produce more of the valuable stuff? Yeah. You, you can't. Yeah. And what I'm thinking is like that metric store or semantic layer concept, like if we enable the business user to come with their BI tool choice, like there's one gateway that get all of those analytics conversations that are happening in an organization, then, you know, if we can monitor that conversation and optimize the conception, both on performance or cost-wise and so forth, like, I think that is where, you know, we will help even more, you know, analytics consumption going up. Really, really well said. All right. So as we enter our last stretch, Ryan, top two takeaways for our listeners from this conversation today. If you are working with BI teams, if you're part of a BI team. Yeah. I mean, the, the I think for me, the top takeaway, it's really something uh, Elif brought up, which is, you know, it, be ready to embrace the product and, and design way of thinking. Um, that is what's going to lead to success. I think whether you're doing a data mesh or not, you know, if you're your organization doesn't even know what data mesh means, but you're a BI person and you're listening to this, you know, these concepts can still help you deliver more valuable things. Um, I, I think that's my my number one takeaway. Uh, my second takeaway would just be, you know, um, whether you're, if you're on a BI team or you're putting together a data mesh and you're trying to figure out how does the BI team fit into this, I would say like, em- you know, embrace the changes that are coming and because it's it it's going to redound to everyone's benefit right um you, as a bi team you will deliver better stuff that people fundamentally care about more right and if you're building a data mesh and you got this crusty old bi team and you're not sure whether you want to b- involve them or not you know 
they're eventually going to be a core consumer of what you're building. So find a way to get them on board as soon as you can. Love that. Really love that. Elif, what do you think? Uh, I think the only thing, like Bell said, Ryan, the only thing that I would add is, you know, think about building an ecosystem. Um, and this goes, kind of goes back about, you know, understand the usage uh, and having a central governance, but then by building that ecosystem, it's searchable, findable, and, you know, composable, then you can go more viral and help, you know, more people at the edge to consume data in a meaningful way. Very well said. Um, I think um, maybe I could add a point or two. To me, I think it's important that um, data product teams and um, data mesh pioneers who are rolling out data mesh in the organizations acknowledge the need for things like a data virtualization layer where necessary, where it's not possible to work with existing data BI tools, um, and where there's current limitation, for example, on how many data products it can consume. So, you know, change happens progressively. And so if you have to bring your BI teams on board, if you have to work with your BI teams, then it's one step at a time. And if that means some intermediate steps to start working uh, in a data product, data mesh aligned way, then take those steps. Um, nothing is binary, one change at a time. And second to me, design thinking, product thinking, personas and usage. That's really the highlight for me, um, they are our core consumers at the end of the day. Ryan, lovely the way you said that. Um, and so, yeah, find a way to work with your BI teams and uh, the semantics of it, where the BI team sits in the data mesh world, irrelevant, in my opinion. Perfect. <laughs> very good way to summarize. Yeah. All right. So thank you so very, very much. This was super interesting. I think we have like a mutual fan club. I really like the baby. Heartily agreed and disagreed with each other. That was really nice. Um, so yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Shout out again to Scott. Thank you for enabling us to come together here today. And yeah, that's the end of our podcast today for the place for BI in a data mesh world. Thank you for listening. I'd again like to thank our panelists today, facilitator Amara Gafoor, who's principal business analyst at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode 133, Elif Tutuk, who's the global head of product at AtScale, and Ryan Dolly, who's an independent data consultant and one of the Super Data Brothers, you know, guest of episode 183. You can find a link to each of their LinkedIn profiles and some other resources like uh, Ryan's YouTube and Substack and the three uh, articles that Amara has written about Data Mesh at Roche in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I, I swear, they give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show. Almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com, for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music. Mm -hmm.